This episode is brought to you by Maui Nui Venison, a mission-based food company bringing the healthiest meat on the planet directly to your door. I have strived over the years to cultivate a deeper connection with the food that fuels myself and my family, balancing nutritional value and ethics that align with our values. This process has led me to harmonize with nature as much as possible. Maui Nui Venison brings this process to fruition. Not only does this company provide the most nutrient-dense meat available, this is the only stress-free, 100% wild-harvested red meat on the market, an operation that is truly one of its kind, actively managing Maui's invasive axis deer populations, helping to restore balance to vulnerable ecosystems and communities in Hawaii. Maui Nui seeks to restore balance, not eradicate or farm these animals. Managing populations means only a limited number of memberships are available. Get yours while you can. Go to MauiNuiVenison.com slash mindful to get 20% off your first order. Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. This is part three of the movement series. Now, part three, the how of movement, is probably going to be multiple uh, episodes here. The first one, I think we're going to focus on different tools available and how they relate to some of the qualities that we referred to in part two. Speaking of part two, if you haven't listened to part one or part two, then please put this one on hold and uh, go back to the beginning, come up, come back up to this point. So if you haven't listened to one or two, please do that first. Today, I'd like to get into a little bit of how we apply a movement practice. And the first part of this is just going to be going over kind of what tools are available and how they relate to the qualities that we want to cultivate. Uh, luckily, many of us are spoiled. There's a lot of tools out there. And don't freak out if you don't have access to a lot because you could do a lot with the stuff that's free and available everywhere. I mean, one of the tools we have to work with is just the ground and space and gravity. And you could do amazing things with just that. Most people have access to ground, uh, a little bit of working space, and a little bit of gravity. Pretty sure you'd be able to find some gravity if you look around for it. Okay, let's talk about some of the tools that are available. If you recall, I mentioned different qualities that we want to cultivate on our path. I'm going to just refresh those real quick. So competency, referring to kind of how well we move through space, you know, how well can our body move without getting hurt, without compensating to do so. Strength, refer to like how much we can move, how much force we can move. Power, might be kind of how much speed can we add to that force? Capacity, you know, how, how much work can we do? There's cardiac output. It's like how hard can you work? There's tasks. There's play. You know, hobbies and sports might fit under the play. 
Think of these as qualities that we could practice. Now, there's a lot of tools, and you could practice many qualities with many of the tools. It's just that some tools lend themselves better for certain qualities. Let's start with the barbell. I love the barbell. The bar, there's something very unique about a barbell. It's very unforgiving. It doesn't bend to you at all. Now, luckily, we're adaptation machines. The barbell allows you to do a lot of work and get a lot of adap adaptation. All the barbell lifts are generally uncomfortable. We could use that to our advantage, though. Now, some are just uncomfortable when you're getting started, but in general, there's a discomfort to all the major barbell lifts at some level. It's good to be uncomfortable at times. When we are exercising, and we're, especially if we're talking about resistance training where a barbell is involved, we need a stress on the body. That's kind of the point. We're asking our body to adapt to a stress. In many ways, exercise is just managing the body's ability to adapt to mechanical stress. The barbell allows you to put a lot of stress on the body. So some of the benefits of the barbell are that it is unforgiving. It forces you to mold to it. It forces you to adapt to it. It doesn't give an inch, really. When it moves, it generally moves in one plane, mostly. And what's nice about it is it's easy to load up. So progressive overload is an important concept when looking for progress in your exercise routine. The barbell makes it easy to progressively overload your body. Now, some of the downfall of it, well, actually, before the downfall, the qualities that that's really good for, I would say, is strength, hypertrophy, can be used for power also. So very useful tool. Remember, strength is like the meat and potato quality we want to cultivate. It's the one that offers the most benefit. It's the one that has the most carryover to all aspects of life as we experience it in the physical body. The barbell sometimes is not a great tool for an absolute beginner, but it is a great tool, and you can just fall in love with it over time. I mean, I have developed a relationship with a barbell that I cherish. That might sound weird. If you're listening to this, you've heard me enough to know that I'm a good amount of weird, so hopefully that just fits in. Okay, so the downfalls, some of the downfalls that come to mind when I think of a barbell. The primary lifts that we're using with a barbell require a sense of rigidity. They require a certain level of tension to perform well and to stay safe. That's not bad. It's just something that is. What I find is the more barbell work I do because of the tension associated with it, because of its unforgiving nature, the more tension I create in my body that needs to be accounted for. So on the recovery side, when we're considering the things that we do to nourish our body, the more barbell work I do, generally, the more nourishment it needs. Now, that might look different for different people. It might be stretching. It might be saunaing. It might be stretching while you're in the sauna. It might be Epsom salt baths. It might be naps. It might be rolling around on the floor. It might be leisurely walks in nature in your neighborhood. It might be days off. It might be more sleep. Whatever the thing, it might be seeing third parties like massage therapists, rolfers, acupuncture. The more barbell work I find that 
I practice, the more general tension emerges in my body, the more nourishing self-care I need to balance out. So for someone that maybe doesn't have a lot of time or maybe uh, you know free time or maybe even finances that help with those other nourishing things, then that might weigh on the usefulness of a barbell. Because if you only use a barbell and you only use it for what it's best for, that will come at some price. Let me go down to the next tool. A tool that I don't use a lot, but I do use is a mace. A mace is interesting. It's unique. It's got a straight part to it, but it has an asymmetrical load on it. It travels through space much different than a barbell. It's somewhat unforgiving, but it's got a little fluidity to it. I find it to be useful, but not my favorite. The thing about the mace is you can use it for different qualities, but I don't find it to be the best tool for any one quality. So you can use it to work competency in some ways. You can use it for strength a little bit until, but it's usually you run out of weight. Usually if you've been practicing exercise regularly, um, it's not going to be a great tool for strength training. Um, you can use it for power, but a little bit. Uh, you can use it for capacity or endurance. I find it can be used, especially when it's used in conjunction with other things. Um, it can be used very well for that. And it could feel somewhat playful. It can be fun. It could be a fun tool. So that's a quality. If you like to have fun when you're exercising, that's a, a tool that can provide that. I generally don't prioritize fun, but I do work it in. And I just find a lot of things fun naturally because I like exercising. Okay. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the mace because, like I said, it's useful. I do use it, but I don't use it very much. Let's go down the line uh, on this working on the same spectrum here, the kettlebell. Now, the kettlebell, I think, is probably the single most versatile piece of exercise equipment that exists. I think you could work every quality you could think of with the kettlebell. There's something unique about the way it travels through space that the body can learn to dance with. You could, you could be a little more rigid. You could, you could treat it like it's more rigid, or you could accept it and be kind of one with it. It's very unique the way it, you could get it to travel and you could relate to it in real time as it's traveling in a way that can be very productive from a fitness perspective. You could use it for all the qualities, all the patterns. Now, for some things, you're going to run out of weight with them. So if you're working a lift that you need a lot of progressive overload, when you're looking at long-term training, the kettlebell for many people um, are going to run out of weight and it's going to lose its value. But on the whole, if you were going to an island and you could bring one thing and you wanted the most bang for the buck, uh, I think kettlebell rules there. And in fact, when I look back at my history, when I've, and I've spent a lot of time on many different modalities of exercise, learning about the kettlebell was like a a pivot point. It was like a game changer at the time. 
It's very useful. Okay, some other tools that I use. Now, there's a lot of tools out there. I'm not going to go over all of them, but I'm going to go over a few more. Uh, a pull-up bar. A pull-up bar is very useful, but it's not that versatile. You can do multiple things that are productive with a pull-up bar for sure. But in comparison to the other tools, overall, it's a limited number of activities. But the activities that you can do with the pull-up bar are super important. And they're just extremely valuable, especially when considering balancing out a routine. Because the things that we get from the pull-up bar, they're very hard to get from other tools. So whereas other tools, we could kind of work the same patterns with, just maybe a little differently, there's certain patterns that you work with a pull-up bar that are just very hard to mimic with the other tools. To be able to hang from something, you, you, it, you can't put uh, a dumbbell on a table and, and hang from it or something. So the pull-up bar is very special in that way. The nice thing about a pull-up bar too is they're pretty available. Obviously every gym is going to have one, but if you're looking for a, a home routine with minimal equipment, I tell you, a couple kettlebells, a pull-up bar, and maybe a rubber band, man, that goes a long way. You could really have a comprehensive program that could last you the rest of your life. Without the pull-up bar, you really use some of that comprehensive nature of the program. And you're going to wind up potentially having some gaps. Okay. But it's not necessary, especially if you're a beginner and full pull-ups maybe aren't in your near future. The things that you get from a pull-up, you might be able to get from somewhere else. But eventually, uh, when you get strong enough, uh, you know, you're going to need something to hang from. Okay. A side note on a, on a pull-up bar, too. If you think about where our big movements come from, they're the ball and socket joints. So hips, shoulders, they do a lot of work. They also have their vulnerabilities. Their shoulder has more of a vulnerability. If you think of the hip, it's kind of like a true ball and socket, but the shoulder's more of like a false ball and socket. It's got a lot, and for that, it has a lot more range of motion, a lot more mobility than the hip, but it is less stable. And shoulder dysfunction and shoulder injuries are pretty common in the exercise world and in the human experience in general. And the pull-up off bar can offer some unique ability to help restore function of the shoulder. There's something about hanging on a bar and trying to pull your arm out of its shoulder that allows all the mechanism of the shoulder, whose job is to retain that arm connected, um, that allows that to do its job and get better. So very unique quality that the pull-up bar offers uh, from a movement restoration, from a healing perspective. Another tool, rubber bands. Rubber bands are useful. Now, some people use rubber bands for a lot of power development. I think that can be useful. I just personally don't. It's just not my favorite tool for that, but they can be. They can be used for strength. I know some people swear by that. I have used it for that. I just don't like it as much. I would never want to opt for rubber band cultivate strength when there was a more solid tool available like a dumbbell or barbell or kettlebell or even a strength machine. But 
um, you know, when you're they're super portable. So if you're like traveling somewhere that didn't have a lot of exercise equipment, that could be a unique opportunity to explore a band further and rely on it um, more as like a stapled for some period of time. There's something that I find very unique about rubber bands when working on the quality of competency that you really can't get from other tools. So it's interesting, but a rubber band can be placed on the body, concentrated onto your body, or connected to an external uh, support and then onto your body in a way to manipulate the line of forces that are imposed on the body to allow you to move to a more efficient pattern. For instance, if you have an asymmetry that shows where let's say when you're walking, every time your right leg is pushing the ground, you're managing one of the planes better. When I say planes, think of forward and back, side to side, and twisty. These are sagittal plane, frontal plane, transverse plane. So let's say you're walking and when your right leg pushes the ground to propel you forward, you don't control the transverse plane as well, as efficient as when your left leg's pushing the ground. So there's some compensatory strategy that you've developed because of that sloppiness, that inefficiency. A rubber band can be placed on your body to support that by feeding your mistake and giving your nervous system a stimulus to respond to that allows you to move towards a more efficient, more balanced movement profile there. Also, rubber bands can be worked to facilitate the relationship between our hips and our shoulders. That's very important because when we're generating force and transferring it and applying it into our hands and moving objects around, that force somehow has to be managed to go from like what happened. Let's say you're generating force from your hip. You're pushing that force down into the ground and then the ground pushes back and then you have to channel that force through your body, generally through your shoulder into your hand somehow. So there's this relationship between our hips and shoulders on the either ends of our trunk where that energy is going through. And we could have a lot of asymmetries there. We could have asymmetries in all three planes, essentially, through our trunk. And rubber bands could allow us to interact with those relationships from a movement restoration, from a quality standpoint. Rubber bands are very unique in that aspect. Also, they could be attached to an external support and put around our body, and we could work on our competency a very different way. We could be pulling on our body in a way that gets our brain to respond. Remember, the way we learn how to move is in response to environment. If you didn't have gravity, the baby wouldn't know to pick up its head. It needs the gravity to work against. So... Bands allow us to kind of manipulate and add extra little lines of gravity while we go through foundational patterns or activities, exercises, so that in real time, every moment along the pattern, we could have the desirable information coming into our body that our nervous system has to respond to. Now, there's some common things that break down in certain patterns, like posture might break down. It might be the way you're controlling your head in space. 
Rubber bands anchored to an external support allow us to interact with our posture. It allows us to interact with our relationship with the ground. For instance, if we're not well connected to the ground while we're doing an exercise, we can use a rubber band to pull ourselves off the ground, thus encouraging that connection to build, to build strength, to build a stronger connection with the ground. So rubber bands I don't use for much, but working competency or like corrective exercises to work on uh, weak links of the chain, they're tremendous. They can also be used as great assistance on certain things, especially with pull-ups. Now, I don't recommend rubber bands being used for pull-ups if you need two giant rubber bands. I mean, the resistance becomes very, very variable, meaning the amount of uh, assistance you might get in one end of an exercise compared to the other end of the range could be so different, I find them to lose their value. But if you can do anywhere from almost one push-up to three to five, I mean pull-ups, like almost a pull-up to like three to five pull-ups, rubber bands can be super useful to make small adjustments in the amount of load you're putting on your body so that you can make good progress. All right, the next, this is the last, well, I'll do two more tools. Uh, machines. Machines are useful. Um, you don't need them. But machines are useful. I learned a long time ago to think of the body as the machine and build the, that machine. But uh, I'm over that. Like machines are useful. Um, when we're talking about hypertrophy as a, as a quality, machines can be very useful. Uh, machines that isolate exercises, if we have an area where there's an imbalance, which can naturally occur just from practicing exercise over time, they can be useful to work muscular imbalances. Um, they could be useful for simplicity. So for people that don't want to spend a lot of time thinking when they're exercising, um, let's say you have a really crazy lifestyle. Let's say you run two business, you have three kids, you're running around and you don't want, and you need to be as uh, efficient as possible. You don't want a lot of thinkery, a lot of thinkery demands in your workout. Um, machines can be useful for cardiovascular work both a higher intensity or a lower intensity, uh, more duration-based cardiovascular work, machines can be very useful. They could help you manage workloads and get in zones that are uh, sustainable, repeatable, so very useful, but you don't need them. So if you don't have access to them, don't worry. There's, there's solutions, I promise you. Last thing, probably my favorite tool, this is the ground. So just think of, uh, your environment, you, the ground, the earth, whatever form that is, you know, the floor, the gym floor, rubber mat, yoga mat, being outside, in the grass, on the dirt, whatever, the ground. You got you, you're an organism, you're operating in space with three planes, gravity upon you, the ground. It is a great tool. You can work everything with it. It's not the best tool for every quality, but you can work every quality with that tool. Now there's a lot of other little tools I didn't get to, parallel bars, some fun stuff. I love all that stuff. Just trying to keep it somewhat simple uh, for, for this purpose. So the ground, whether it's 
competency work. Now, keep in mind, for me, the best way to work competency is to relearn how to move the way we originally learned how to move it. So we originally learned that first year of our life, flopping around on the floor, learning how to roll and crawl and stand up and walk and hinge and squat. And the ground works great for that. Also, think about play, hobbies, sports. I love practicing yoga. I generally practice yoga on a yoga mat on the ground. Now, yoga is a specific modality that I practice. But within that modality, there's a lot of competency work. Even though that's not my main focus why I practice yoga, I find yoga to be very nourishing. I, you still are training a little bit of competency. You are practicing strength. You, you can practice endurance and capacity. There are some things you cannot get out of the ground. For instance, if you have just the ground and you don't have any other equipment, you could do all the yoga you want, all the Pilates, all the whatever, it's not going to teach you how to pick 250 pounds off the floor because it just doesn't provide that stimulus. But you could go your whole life with just that tool and be just fine. And there's many people around the world that do that. In fact, there's many places in the world where there's very healthy, vibrant people and there's no gyms. They don't have exercise equipment at all. So embrace the floor. Learn to love it. And you could even adapt to the floor. It's interesting. I like to work on a very hard floor. Most people, when they're starting out doing floor work, they like cushion. They want it to be soft. But it's remarkable uh, how fast your body will adapt. I am at the point now where I crave the floor. Like even a thin yoga mat oftentimes feel like just way more cushion than I want. You know, I, my gym and home is bamboo floors, wood floor. And it's a soft wood, but it's wood, and I find it very nourishing. It really it feeds me. It fills my cup when I spend time on it. That might sound strange, but you practice for a couple decades. You get back to me. I think you'll feel similarly. All right. Um, so what did we talk about? We talked about some different tools and how they relate to qualities. So you could basically work every quality with every tool to some degree, but some tools just lend themselves better for certain qualities. And we could use that information in a useful way when comprising the, the minutes of our routine. Let's see, is there anything else I want to touch on in this episode on what is movement? Let me recap. Movement, transfer and force through the body. We learn how to do that through patterns. When we go to exercise, we could practice those patterns with different tools. We went over some of the more common tools. On the next episode, I think my goal is to give an example of how to look at a program kind of zoomed out, meaning starting from how much time you see yourself dedicating throughout the week or month towards exercise. And I'll give you some examples of what I do. Uh, and that changes a little bit throughout the year. I just make subtle adjustments. But I'll give you a, a current example. And then I'll share some examples of what is something that would be very typical with um, the average client for me, which is generally someone that's middle-aged, just wants to feel better in their body and what that looks like. They're willing to invest 
They're not going to spend two hours every day, maybe, but they're willing to spend two to four hours a week. So that's a very common scenario I found myself in uh, working with over the years. So I'm going to give some examples of what that would look like. I want to thank you all again for tuning in. If you have questions about this, let me know. I'll do my best to get back to you. And uh, that's it. I hope you have a great day.